solo. Luminous beams, Zoe. Not this crude matter. A communications disruption can mean only one thing. This is Jam Transmissions, a Star Wars podcast. Welcome, everybody, to episode... Wow, that was really hot. Uh, episode 139 of the Jam Transmissions podcast. I have been lost in the unknown regions for the last couple of weeks. Um, I appreciate everybody's patience and sticking around uh, as uh, we took a little break, a little inadvertent break, because it was hard to find time as the school year was ending for my son and the weather's getting nicer and I don't want to sit in front of a microphone when the weather's nice. I want to be outside doing nothing, really. Just sitting in a chair with a book, maybe. Don't talk to me if you see me. Um, you won't see me because I'll be hidden in the trees somewhere, jungle style. Um, but this is episode 139. I'm glad to be back. It's been a couple of weeks, like I said. Got a lot of things that I want to talk about today. And uh, if you looked at the show art or any of the things about the show, you know that I'm not alone. I'm very rarely alone when I record the show anymore because I don't want to do it alone. I want to have friends come on and talk about the things that we like, like Star Wars and other things. So sitting on the other side of uh, my laptop, battleship style, he's in the same room, but he's on his laptop. It is my good friend who I had the pleasure of meeting for the first time, Celebration Chicago in 2019, Eric Strothers from the Bad Motivators podcast, from The Sith List, from That's Metal on Patreon, and from Dinner with the Healers, which he does with his family, Eric Strothers. How the hell are you, my friend? Buddy, I'm so glad to be on the show. And you are an absolute legend, sir. Oh, thank you. So thank you so much for saying so. The check is in the mail. <laughs> all right. So let's um, let's just dive right in. First of all, how are you? I know, like, listen, you're on podcast twice a week, typically. So and I listen to both of those shows, plus some of the patrons. So I know how you're doing. But for anybody who doesn't listen to any of the 12 shows that I mentioned, how have you been? I've been great, man. I mean, you know, like you said, I was really busy with the end of the school year mm -hmm. as because it was, oh, kids, musical program. We've got this. We've got this. And uh, I'm just sort of trying to, like, smooth it out now and start to enjoy the summer. But, you know, creating content all the time does get to be a bit tough. It's it's so easy to, like you said, when you just you just couldn't carve out the time for it. And so yeah. like, let's take the bad motivators as an example. We're petrified to miss an episode because boy, if we miss one, it'll feel real easy to just maybe not do any more of them. <laughs> and so, and so it's like every week, okay, we got to do this thing. Here we go. But uh, yeah, man, I've just been enjoying life. Things are good. That's awesome. And you know, I, I have to say a lot of people uh, in the podcasting space, uh, make a choice to not talk about things that are happening in their real life. And mm -hmm. listening to the the gratitude that you express towards 
your family and the life that you have is, uh, is uplifting to say the least. And it's like, for me, it gives me the means to like step back and take a look at what I have mm-hmm. when I hear other people express uh, what they have and how grateful they are for it. So um, you, my friend, have given me that little shred of inspiration to say, boy, I got a pretty, I got a pretty good life, um, even though we've gone through some big changes with the move and everything. Um, it ain't that bad. It ain't bad at all. So we're, we're pretty lucky people. Well, and I appreciate you, you saying that because it's one of those things where for the longest time, it's like I've got this double-edged sword going. If I wasn't always the person that I am now, I wasn't, I have, you know, you look back with some regrets and stuff, but then also like I really had sort of resigned myself to the fact that I was never going to have a wife that cared about me in the same way that I cared about her, have this mm-hmm. beautiful family, have all these things. And so whenever I have it all now, it's like, it's good for me to recognize that there was a time I didn't have this and I didn't think I ever would. And so cherish this, cherish the moment. Well, you can thank Amanda for me, for allowing you to come and talk to me for a little while (laughs) and pulling you away from the kids for a little bit. Um, And I got to say, speaking of uh, of the kids, just in general, um, Henry, my man, Henry, on a microphone is an absolute gift. Oh, he's good. Uh, I hope, and I like it, I've done this with my son, with Isaac, where we, we've recorded some things and been on some other shows uh, from time to time. We don't really do it too much lately because he's 13 and he's too cool for school, but uh-huh. um, <clears throat> the ability to go back and listen to those kinds of things um, and like to hear, especially like Henry's what, eight now? Yeah, he's almost yeah. nine, about a month almost away. Almost nine. So to hear him at six or seven mm-hmm. when he's 16 or 17 right. and to hear those kinds of changes, if you have the desire to go back and listen, like uh, when Pete was on with me a few weeks ago, we talked about the first time Isaac was on this show. And I think it was episode 46 or seven, something like that. And we talked about Black Spire and he talked about the books Pirate Price. And uh, just to hear how his voice sounds. Mm-hmm. And is I mean it's only a few years removed, but you know he might have been nine at the time, and he's thirteen now, or he was ten or something like that. I think. Um, but to have like a like a recorded, um, like a record of of the passage of time is pretty neat. Um, it is for us to go back and be able to look on that. And you and I both, you know, as as a lot of parents do, you know, we cherish our families. We like our time with our families, and to be able to do something like this podcasting um, is uh, is pretty cool to be able to do it with them. But to that end, outside of the bad motivators, you are um, the patriarch of dinner with the healers. Now, I'm not going to say what it is for anybody who doesn't know what it is. I want you to give uh, a synopsis of what dinner with the healers is that you do with uh, the entirety of your family. Dinner with the Healers is an episode by episode podcast about the television show Bluey. It's an Australian animated show. That is on the uh, Australian Broadcasting Company, I guess is what that it is. And it is on Disney Plus. Mm-hmm. And some of my Aussie friends said, have you checked this out yet? You got to see it. You got to see it. And we were instantly in love with it. And if you're not familiar with Bluey, it's short form episodes. They're like eight minutes long. And it's about this family dynamic and they're dogs, but they're people. 
but they're dogs. Mm -hmm. And it's so well done. It is really aimed at the kids in the show are like preschool age, but the audience for this show, it basically has no defined age. If you were ever a kid or if you were parents, it's a top shelf show. And so what we do is we talk about the episode and talk about what we learned from it. Because, you know, in a lot of kids shows, that's always the thing. What did we learn? And we've ha- started having so much fun with it. And the reception to it has been really good. I'm very surprised. At, we just have fun with it. But it is really neat. If you dig Bluey, give it a listen. If you haven't ever seen Bluey, go watch Bluey. Can't recommend <laughs> it enough. And then go listen to the podcast. Yes. It's good stuff. I mean, I'm you know, my, my Bluey experience is like, okay, everybody that I know is talking about this show, you know, in terms of like demographics and not knowing anything about it. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, you know, my son's kind of aged out and like, all right, so I'll carve a few minutes on my own in the car before work and just check uh. this thing out. And it's like, this is really, really delightful. I, so, I mean, I haven't really watched a lot of it just, you know, uh-huh. the time and other things that are going on, but I'm like, it's really cool. I, I I've enjoyed what I've seen so far. And the times that you just, you know, even like with the Patreon stuff or, uh, bad motivators when your family's on those are always pretty fun and uh yeah. the like you and amanda together when you guys talk about other tv shows uh-huh. um, is also pretty fun too because uh she while she seems to you know she's a fan of the things that she's a fan of but she's not mm-hmm. a super fan of any of those things like we are right. at least it doesn't seem that way uh I, I don't think many people are at the level that we are with the not fandom, but like yeah. obsessiveness when it comes to fandom, right. like how far we go into it. So it is kind of cool to see how you guys uh, play off of each other. And you can tell that you guys love each other very much. It comes out um, on the show. Well, one thing so. that's really fun with her, and you and I were actually just talking about this in the production meeting before we started recording, is that she isn't encumbered by the real world facts around the show, typically. Mm-hmm the behind the scenes dirt and all that leading up to something getting made. She doesn't care. She doesn't care to know. And that lets her go in with the viewpoint that honestly I am envious of frequently. And because like with star Wars, just as an example, the only reason I'm aware of a lot of this stuff is because I have to fill time every week on a podcast that's about star Wars. Otherwise I would rather just duck and wait until it comes out and watch it and be like, cool. And not know any of the, the side drama with it. And she gets to do that with pretty much everything that she consumes. And I, that's an enviable spot to be. in. That's same here. You know, Cheryl here, like we'll watch shows. She knows nothing about it. Unless I say there was some drama, you know, mm-hmm. within the show, whatever. Yeah. Like you said, the behind the scenes, if she likes it, she likes it. If she doesn't, she doesn't. Same with my right. son. And it's like, I'll watch the thing. And I'm like, just knowing those stories, you can kind of see the cracks or you can kind of see, you know, yeah, you know, little things like that. And, and, and it might take away from your experience, which is why. And we again, we talked about the soft mic and I brought this up a few weeks ago, like the switch to have this show be more about the people and our experiences with the stories as they are and not really worry about the man in the hat or, mm-hmm. you know, whoever's you know, got interviews, um, that are out with the exception of one, uh, that came out uh, just a couple of days ago. And I don't know if you've had a chance to see or read this, but, um, variety has their actors on actors series and Hayden Christensen and Diego Luna, uh, 
had a conversation together. So I have not seen that. Okay. So <clears throat> videos out, I think it was like, you can see it in a couple of different places, but variety had a transcript of most of the conversation um, minus some little bits. And I'm not going to talk too much about it, but in terms of people talking about their projects, I like this format to have two creative people, two artists talk mm-hmm. about their experience with it and um, what they've gotten from the other side. So, you know, clearly they talk about some of the stuff with Revenge of the Sith and uh, Rogue One and Andor, and there's a lot of praise that they give each other. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that they asked like Hayden, well, Diego asked Hayden uh, about his daughter, um, like what she knows of Star Wars. Like, does she know that he's Darth Vader uh-huh. and his daughter's eight? And he said, no, he doesn't know how to approach like telling her that he becomes the bad guy, that daddy right. becomes the bad guy, the, you know, the guy in the suit. Um so, you know, he's like, well, we'll get to it. I just don't really know how to frame all of that yet. So in turn, Hayden asked Diego if he was able to keep anything from his filming on Rogue One. I did catch this. Yes, yes. And boy, did this make my Cassie and Andor love and heart sing. Me and Catherine Neen, we sing from opposite ends of the earth every time there's some awesome, awesome stuff about uh, Diego and Andor. Um, so... The only thing that Diego got to keep from the set of Rogue One was the jacket, uh, nice. the brown jacket that he wears. And um, he said that he he felt like he earned it and that it was just a really cool jacket. And Hayden agrees. He goes, it's a good jacket. And I was like, you know what, guys? I'm glad we agree. It is a very good jacket. <laughs> and uh, for people who know me or follow me online and all that kind of stuff, you know that I have a replica jacket that uh, my Cheryl got for me Christmas a couple of years ago. I love it. It's and when it's cooler, it's my everyday jacket. It's not a cosplay thing. It's just a, it's just a dope ass jacket. And I love it. Um, and, uh, I don't just felt kind of like, you know what, Diego, I'm glad we have similar tastes and it's not a one-to-one replica. You know, it's, it's not the same, but it's, it's close enough for me. Um, so I told that to, uh, to Cheryl here and she was like, all right, all right. I see. I see you. You, you like the thing and he likes the thing you guys have that in common. And if I ever get the chance to meet him, I'm going to tell him on the cave. She bought me this jacket that I'm going to have you <laughs> scribble all over and I'll never wear it again, but uh, I love it. The, so. Let me ask you this. This is a bit of a dark question, but with Hayden Christensen talking about his daughter and like letting her know that he becomes Darth Vader, <clears throat> I would wonder how a kid that age would handle seeing your dad on screen getting burnt to a crisp and in a especially to a kid, a super realistic way and what that would do to you. I, I mean, my Henry's not super hip, like staring at that scene in great detail as it is, mm-hmm. but I couldn't imagine what it would be like for him. If it was my face on there, we could Sean Hoffman to put your face on the scene. If you ever want to test that out, uh, <laughs> he is an expert. He yeah. did. He put me on the scene of the little girl running over the kid with her Barbie car. <laughs> <laughs> it was very appropriate for the time. Um, you know, I, I can I can imagine. Well, he Hayden said that he his daughter was on set uh, during the filming of Obi Wan Kenobi, mm-hmm. but it was when they filmed the uh, prequel era stuff uh, when he uh, and Ewan were in their Jedi stuff. Um, so she's never seen him in the suit, let alone 
you know, just any stuff with the movies, uh, right. from what it sounds like. And, um, good for him, I guess, for trying to protect her from that. Yeah. Uh, until he feels like she's ready. Cause I know for me as a parent, I was like, I couldn't wait to show Isaac star Wars. Um, and you know, I think we watched a new hope when he was three. Mm-hmm. And then I think that Christmas we watched empire and Jedi uh, so he was, yeah, I don't think he was quite four yet when we watched them all. And I, I have a video recording of him watching the, uh, spoilers for, uh, Empire Strikes Back, the I am your father moment. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, he had no reaction, nothing at all. And I remember, uh, asking him afterwards, like, you know, well, well like, what do you think about that? Darth Vader is Luke's dad. And he was like, I don't believe him. I said, what do you mean? You don't believe him? And he goes, well, he's a bad guy and bad guys lie. So I said, Okay. That's an interesting take. We'll have one more movie to watch and we'll find out if he's telling the truth. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then last month we got to see return of the Jedi together in the theater and it was awesome. Oh. So, even though we've seen it a bunch of times. Yeah. Seeing so. it in the theater is pretty magical. I didn't get a chance to go when it had the short run. Uh, I wish I had, but you know, I saw it in the theater back when it first came out <laughs> because I'm old, but yeah, I, yeah. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Now, if you're old, you know, I'm, I'm nipping at your heels. Mm-hmm. You're only a couple years. Old. I'm not going to say how many years old. You're a, a few. Um, we were both born in the 70s. Let's just put it mm-hmm. that way. The 1970s people. Yes. Um, even though we make jokes. Um, so the overall experience, like you probably have more vivid memories of seeing Star Wars during the OT era than uh-huh. I do. I mean, I, I was told... We went to see Empire uh, either in 80 or 81, maybe on a re-release. But I have very clear memories of seeing Return of the Jedi with my dad and then with my uncle um, on a subsequent. I think we saw it three times that year, or I saw it three times that year. But take me back. Let's jump in the DeLorean and go back to a bygone era uh, of mono mixes for albums and uh, eight-track tapes. Um, let's go back to the Foghead era of America. And, uh, what was like your early experience with star Wars and, and what do you think, what about star Wars hooked you? Okay. So I have very vivid memories of going to see what was then just called star Wars Mm -hmm. at the theater in our hometown. And my dad can't remember exactly if that was at near the end of its original theatrical run or if it was at the beginning of the like the next release they did, which mm-hmm. was still in 1977. I mean, it's one of those things. The movie was so stinking popular. They couldn't get everybody in to see it that wanted to see it. And he had already gone to see it before me and told me he's like, you're really going to like this and try to not predispose me to it too much. Mm-hmm. And I was captivated immediately, immediately. I mean, I thought Princess Leia was super good looking. I mean, I was four you know, at the time, <laughs> but hey, you, you, the heart knows what it likes. But uh, I thought she was super pretty. I thought Luke Skywalker was the coolest. And even though he was a kid, he seemed like a super grown up to me Mm -hmm. at that time. I thought lightsabers ruled. I remember very much like the gasp that came out of me whenever he ignited it. And my most vivid memory of it, though, is during the trench run scenes. 
since I was so little, you know, this was the theater seats where it was just the gentle slope, not stadium style seating yeah, in the yeah. theaters now. And so rather than fold the folding seat down, I sat on the top edge of that so that my head was about as tall as like my parents. And I remember, at, and I even still do it. I'm able to like, that becomes reality for that moment. No outside influence changes it. And I was like, I was flying an X-wing. I remember it so well as a kid bouncing around and just having the best time watching it. And I can remember doing the same thing again the second time we went to see it, you know, because that was back whenever I would only go see movies maybe once or yeah. twice yeah. in the theater. And it was amazing. Instantly, I wanted all the toys. I wanted all the stuff and you couldn't get it. Ironically, I kind of relived that whole thing fairly recently. <laughs> but yeah, it's and then. From there, it was just, it was on. I was obsessed with Star Wars. I really, like all the times my friends and I would play, it was Star Wars this, Star Wars that. And, you know, having the action figures really helped. But we, that was back in an era where when it was light out, you went outside and then you maybe came back home for lunch and then you went back out again until it was dark. Yeah. And so, you know, we played and, just it was so amazing and then like i remember when empire came out i was a member of the star wars fan club the official lucasfilm star wars fan club and my mom bought me the uh like the tan i don't know what you would call it but the jacket luke skywalker is wearing on bespin yeah the bespin fatigues yeah it was the coolest and i wish so much that we still had it because you know you buy a piece like that from the fan club i mean it's not like they had made millions of them so it probably wasn't very cheap <laughs> and uh i am in my head imagined i look like luke skywalker and i most definitely didn't but it, you know in that and that was it it was kind of the focal point of my life when i was a kid well listen you look as much like luke skywalker as i do to diego luna so let's just let's just go with that all right we both had replica jackets and, yeah uh, luckily i got mine as an adult and it still fits yours that you might have gotten in 1980 I'm, i don't think it would fit anymore eric if you were no. the same size you are now in 1980 <laughs> god bless your mother for oh, that gosh, so man. i just wish, wish i had it to give to henry yeah that'd be that'd be that kid sweet. would look sharp in a jacket yeah. like that yeah he would yeah he would yeah. with those with those dope ass lightsabers you made for them mm -hmm. a couple years yeah. ago man Phew. yeah that's yeah. good stuff so what about Return of the Jedi? I mean, by that point, you were a uh, hefty 17 years old. Yeah. And uh... <laughs> yeah, so I was almost 10. And <laughs> Jedi was 83, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And here's what's wild about that time. And it's funny because, you know, you'll hear some of our like, especially our Australian friends talk about how like the novelization for The Phantom Menace. They had it in their hands and read it before the movie was ever available to watch. Mm -hmm. The Scholastic book orders that you would get in grade school. I got the return of the Jedi photograph, like storybook, the storybook. Yeah. Yeah. And I had read it probably a thousand times before I got to see the movie. Mm. I knew what was going to happen. I knew what all the stuff was called. And, and, uh, but still, even still going to see it, it was so good. And I remember that ending really having a big impact on me just with the entire the battle between Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader, the uh, everything going on on Endor. And I was like key demographic for Ewoks. 
super pro Ewoks, man. I thought they, I, it never occurred to me that people didn't like them. Same. I, you know, I remember hearing that much later on and like, wait, what are you talking about? Why wouldn't you like them? And I mean, and I, I mean, I get it now, but like at the time, it just seemed like the most asinine thing. It's like, uh, they help the good guys fight the bad guys. Like, what more do you want? Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> they were cute as the day is long. I just, what was not to like about it? Mm-hmm. But I really liked the redemption arc. And obviously, like a lot of people, that really spoke to me. Even as a kid, I remember feeling like there was something really special about what happened with mm-hmm. Darth Vader, that even though he didn't live through it, that what happened to his soul, for lack of a better word, it that was something that we should pay attention to. But yeah, well, I loved it. There's something about that redemption that uh, points to what's the word I'm looking for here? Like almost like a reclamation of faith, right? Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a, it's a redefinition of himself. It's, it, it's him, you know, returning to this former persona that he was because of the love that he had for his son and that he received from his son in return. Um, but there is something uh, that speaks to an idea of faith because Luke never lost it with mm-hmm. his dad. He knew that there was something with him that uh, was worth holding on to or uh, helping him achieve for himself. Now, for anybody who listens to the Sith list knows that uh, Eric works in a church. Uh, that's. Uh, <laughs> yes, that's, I do. That, that's the thing. It's on the business card yeah. now. Um, yeah. And so now as you've grown up, uh, with Star Wars largely in the rearview mirror, even though these stories uh, clearly stuck with us, you know, mm-hmm. even even just you know on the surface they're great action adventure sci fi movies, uh, um, science fantasy movies. Excuse me, nerds. Um, and it's not till later on that we start to think of things more thematically or why they matter to us. Uh-huh. Um, when you found yourself in a place where uh, your faith became something that helped to define your persona. How do you carry the lessons from star Wars and kind of merge those idea together so that you don't have one kind of supersede the other? You know what I mean? Like they, they, they can go very hand in hand, but for you personally, how do you make those two things feel more seamless in your life? Well, it's interesting that you ask this because one of the things we would do at church and we haven't done it in a while, but we would do like an at the movie series where we wouldn't be able to stream them online, but we would take a movie and cut it into like bite sized chunks. And uh, my pastor would a lot of times we'd film it ahead of time against a green screen and he'd talk about the action in the movie and here's what it represents and so on and so on. So I pitched this whole thing about The Force Awakens and how that lesson very much applies to like what we're talking about in church and just like the life change. And then once your eyes have been opened, you know, as a Christian and let me preface what I'm getting ready to say with this. Listen, I totally get people who are like, yeah, not my bag. I completely understand. Okay. So please don't take, I am not expecting everybody to share my same point of view, but it's like one, the scene, for example, where, Ray is dueling with Kylo and she, he says, uh, you need a teacher. Let me show you the ways of the force. And she says the force and closes her eyes. Right. Mm -hmm. And then when she opens them, 
she's completely changed. Like you can see it in her face. The way Daisy Ridley acted that was so good. And that is very much a parallel of like when people have like their first experience with God, when you, when you're mentally, you come to terms with the fact that, Hey, this is a real viable thing. And like those two mo- that moment paralleled that so much that I really focused hard on that and like my whole pitch to the thing. It's like once she closed her eyes and re- opened up again, it's like she was this new person and she had a resolve that she never had before. And it's that sort of theme in Star Wars that just travels so hand in hand with my faith that, uh, it feels like all the rest of it just comes together. You know, there's a lot of it. It's very strongly based in lots of uh, religions. You can see lots of pieces of religions in it, but there's, I would say, pretty strong Christian overtones in a lot of the messages, but there's a lot of similarities amongst faiths as well. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, glad, I'm glad you brought that up real quick, because I think one of the more magical things about Star Wars and storytelling like this is that there's something universal mm-hmm. about the particulars. You know right. what I mean? Like you, you can put so many different lenses on it and make it work for different thematic things that are similar. I know I just, that was a lot, that was a word salad there. Right. But, but I know, no, I know exactly what you mean. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so it's, and that's another thing that I like about it is it's easy to find yourself in there. And wildly enough, people have found their their own ideology represented in Star Wars. But sometimes I feel like they're finding it on the like the wrong end of mm-hmm. the struggle for good and evil. You know, always always carry on about how nobody ever thinks they're the bad guy. You know, the entire empire they're the good guys. The rebels are terrorists, right? And and so there are people who apparently take a different message away from it than I do. But yeah, it's, you know, you can look in it and find yourself in it. And speaking of finding yourself, that's something that Star Wars has done a really good job of, especially with the sequel trilogy and the Disney era stuff of people being able to find themselves from a, uh, like a representation side of things too. Mm-hmm. You can see people that look like you or that, and I think that is a big deal too. I agree. I mean, speaking as, as a person of color, like I never thought to, you know, try to view these, especially the original trilogy with a different lens because they were just the movies and they were cool. And I never, I mean, I saw myself as Luke or as Han because mm-hmm. You role play as a kid. Um, a right. lot of times that's not, it's not on the forefront, but then you get to a place later on and it's like, wait a minute, there's nobody that looks like me mm-hmm. in the original trilogy. I mean, there was, you know, Lando was there for, you know, the Af- African-American fans or black fans that are out there, but there was one dude and uh-huh. there was one woman. Um, yeah. But there was literally nobody that looked like me uh, until the Disney era. And, y- you know, you know, I remember Celebration Chicago and I've talked about this and, and every time I bring this up, I say this with a lot of humility, um, like just on the surface, because, you know, Diego Luna is an extremely handsome man, but I remember walking around Celebration and hearing like whispers of like, yo, that guy looks like Cassie Nander. That guy looks like, you know, I mean, I was wearing the jacket and it wasn't uh-huh. really like I was trying to cosplay. I just had the jacket on. Like I said, I just wear it all the time. Um, 
and again, with all, all humility, there was a part of me that was like, um, if people see like a shade of that with what I'm wearing or how I look like, that's mm-hmm. great. Um, <clears throat> but then to see like, even my son would be like, you do look like him. Or uh-huh. <laughs> when we went to see Rogue One in the theater last year, even though, you know, we'd seen it, you know, multiple times before, like Cassie and Andor comes on the screen and my son's like, you know, shaking my shoulders, like, it's uh-huh. you, it's you. And I'm like, all okay. right, kid, like, I, I know what you're doing. Like, I get it. Um, but the representation does, you know, on a surface level, seeing somebody that looks like you is monumental for a lot of different reasons. For mm-hmm. people. But again, to what we were talking about, just with like ideas of faith and ideology, to have something in these stories and not even just Star Wars, but like, even you know, larger kind of like pop culture IP stuff, be it the Marvel stuff or whatever. If you can insert yourself in those stories with somebody ideologically that feels like they're on the same level as you, mm-hmm. you're going to get the story in a different way. Um, because there's a, like, there's a different level of immersion when you're like, yeah, no, I get it. I get what they're saying. I, you know, I 100% agree with that. You come into the story with that already. And then you see their journey. Uh, and there's, there's a level of relation that you have with it. That is like, um, that's where like the expertise of the writers comes in because mm-hmm. they know how to translate those ideas. And again, it could be something that's very hyper-specific, but make it seem more universal to appeal to these gigantic audiences that they're hoping to bring in. Yeah. Well, and it it is wild to me because to me, the amount of like, faith as an ideology right it's so strong strongly present in star wars that i it's just a seamless transition into like my own faith it's it's just a given and i'm just i'm glad that something like that is there for my kids too that they can they can see this and see like that struggle of good and evil and it played out in a way that makes more sense to him, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, very visual, very actiony, very close to real life in some extents, you know. And yeah. so I'm glad that's right there. You know, <clears> something <throat> that real quick I want to say dinner with the healers, my entire family as the cast got to uh we guested on the Rogue Rebels podcast with our friend Sal Prowess and his lovely wife Liz. And Axel and Lizzie weren't able to be on the episode, unfortunately. But while we were talking, one thing that I mentioned to my daughter is, you know, you're growing up in this sweet time where girls being badass heroes is just a given. Mm -hmm. And like Princess Leia, when Star Wars came out, that was kind of out of nowhere that this young woman and she was the only one, though, she was the only woman in the movie, essentially. And for for kids now and then not just in Star Wars, but I'm so glad Star Wars is a big part of it, like having Ray as the protagonist in the sequel trilogy. Oh, what that did for like what that represented to my kid. And she doesn't even know just to her. That's completely normal. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just glad that lots and lots of entertainment properties are doing that. I think it's great. You know, to put that into perspective, like I'm glad Stella has that. I'm glad lots of little girls mm-hmm. uh, have that, uh, and little boys too. You know, if they look up to a character like Ray, um, 
but like going back when when we think about the I'm air quoting strong female characters mm-hmm. uh, in the past, like there have always been, you know, outspoken, strong, backboned women in movies. Um, but they sometimes were the foil to the man or they were the mm-hmm. relationship to the man. And when we think about, especially like in the action sci-fi space, you have Sigourney Weaver and um, Linda Hamilton. Uh, and now as much as alien or aliens and Terminator are fantastic movies to watch, mm-hmm. just like in the action sci-fi space. Um, if I had a daughter and she was like five or six years old, I'm not showing her aliens. Because right. Yeah. That's not for yeah, her. That might be a bit much. Yeah. So it, it is good that there is stories like this um, kind of across the board where uh, the idea of a female lead uh, as um, a role model is something that's more universally um, not accepted, but like uh, presented. You know what I mean? Like they're just there for, you know, little girls of all ages to just like right. turn on the TV, put on a movie. And then it's just, it, it's just there for them to, to, to absorb and, you know, aspire to be depending on whatever the, the story is. So, yeah. And, and I remember thinking like, even that stuff with, with my son of like what he was into and what, you know, he's not so much into star Wars now anymore because he's 13 and, you know, he's growing mm-hmm. and changing, which is fine. But you know, ideally, whatever it is that he's into, and I say this for any kids, if they're into, you know, kind of IP stuff, to have the willingness or have people in their lives who are willing to talk with them about what it is that they're watching um, so that it's not just entertainment. You know what I mean? And, and not right. to say, like, we watched The Mandalorian. Now let's talk about what it means. No, but like, you know, we would watch shows of things and we would talk about what do you think about this character like you know wasn't it cool when this or that and that opens up another avenue to conversation to talk about well i think this is what it meant if blah 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 you kind of sneak it in there a little bit where right you know it's not just um you know i hope you were taking notes because we're going to talk about themes yeah and force it on them that way so and that also uh, you know at least for my part you know it helps me to have him look at stories with the more critical lens and to want to have the idea to look a little bit deeper than just what's on a page. Cause he reads a ton. He reads a lot of comic mm-hmm. books and a lot of novels. Um, Cause he's just a sponge for knowledge. Uh, and he's very quick to tell us. So when he's smarter than us on things, cause that's what kids do. Yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, so another thing that I, okay, let me, let me backpedal here just a little bit. going back to some of my earliest um, listens to the bad motivators back in probably, I think I started listening to the show 2018 ish. Um, I think um, it's been that long five years ago, man. Um, And uh, one of the things that I always enjoyed hearing from your perspective on the show was your relationship to music. Like uh-huh. knowing that you were in a band, you played guitar, mm-hmm. um, you were given lessons to, to random neighborhood kids who just knocked on the door and said, Hey, mister, I have this, my howdy duty guitar. Can you show uh-huh. me how to play? And um, you do the thing. You're on your Patreon. You have a show called That's Metal, right? When after you guys started the mm-hmm. other Patreon thing, I, you knew that. I didn't have to tell you that. That was for everybody else. Uh, go check out the Bad Motivators Patreon. There's a lot of good stuff there. But you'll break down songs 
um, much to the degree of like a David W. Collins does, even though he's like, it takes him months and months and months to do, you know, a single thing. He talks about soundtracks. That's his show. It's called the soundtrack show and you should go listen to it. Um, but you'll talk about songs and breakdowns of things. You had a whole episode where you recorded a solo on the fly for a project. Mm-hmm. And for myself, uh, who is maybe not so much musically inclined, but understands music maybe a little bit more than some people. Um, and I don't say that as like a brag or a boast, but like um, being exposed to different things and understanding how um, song composition works a little bit. Uh-huh. Um and also like the improvised nature of say like jazz or punk or right. um, early metal or prog rock, things like that for you. Um, when a song, when you take a song, like when well, you were in a cover band for a long time, throw the horns. Um, when you look at song composition and structure and again, we're going to, we're going to paint this in, in the, the guise of, of Star Wars and just kind of storytelling. Do you see similarities in the structure of say, like big picture, like here's this trilogy of movies and here's this character in these stories to any one song that you're listening to? Do you ever think about it that way of like every song is a story um, that has these elements that need to be seeded through? Uh, to an extent. Like right now I'm super into pop music. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan and mm. her, especially her, her songs are very story driven. They're about a person, oftentimes her, sometimes not, but it's when you look at things like I came from this hard rock and metal background where the, the whole concept album thing really lends itself to like the trilogy style of storytelling you know, I'm a big Trans-Siberian Orchestra fan, but before that I was a Sabotage fan, which is that's where the Trans-Siberian Orchestra sort of rose from. And they would do these big, giant concept albums that uh, some of the tracks were like scenes, like it, almost like from a movie, but it's an audio book kind of deal. And you start to see that like music as a storytelling device, so much so to the point that like, just for example, in this recent most recent episode of that's metal that i did it was called how the west was won and i was talking about uh music in quote-unquote cowboy movies in western Mm -hmm. movies especially like ennio morricone for that did tons of the spaghetti western stuff Mm -hmm. and one of the things i kept saying and realized i was saying it and sort of tried to correct myself is this music here's what it looks like I'm like, no, wait, here, what I mean is, is here's what it sounds like. And then I thought, no, maybe I do mean here's what it looks like. Because even just the textures of the music so perfectly describe the visual that it, it's almost like this blurred line that I can't, it's a chicken and egg sort of thing. And because yeah. the question came up, okay, well, do do I associate this with Westerns because and the Western scene, because that's what I was taught to do or does it just so perfectly encapsulate the visual that it goes with that there was no other choice. This Mm -hmm. is what this desert scene sounds like. And so I think back to, you know, people would ask these questions 
whenever like everybody's Star Wars fan and was reignited whenever the sequel trilogy was announced and that sort of thing. There are questions would come up like, okay, you can only you have to ditch one of the trilogies. Which one do you keep? I mean, just like as an emo- just as a like a thought exercise. Yeah. And one of the questions that I immediately asked was, well, can I still listen to the soundtrack? Because if I can listen to the soundtrack, I can take myself back to that movie and visually see it just as good as if I watched it on a, on a screen. Mm-hmm. And so in that respect, the music is so tied to the storytelling in such a strong way that I don't need the visual to see the visual. But on the flip side, if you take the music away from the visual, you really lose something. So to me, the music is prompting your the correct emotional response that they want you to have to whatever's happening on the screen and really helps drive it. Yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to put this in terms to, to something that you said on that episode. Uh, I think it was on that episode you brought it up, or maybe it might have been on a regular motivators episode. I don't know. They all blend together. It's all the yeah. same shit to me. So. Um, it's but you were talking. I think you were talking. <laughs> you were talking with Cruiser. I think about um, how people with perfect pitch often see notes or tones as color. Mm-hmm. Um, now, for myself, there have been times where that's happened. Like we would watch say a show like the voice and like, which I'm like, I'm not a huge fan of shows like that. I love music and I love the creative process just in general, but to have like a blind audition and like, cause I would find myself not wanting to look at the screen, just hearing mm-hmm. what they're doing. And you can, you know, for some people I have the ability, you can tell if somebody's pitchy or if they sound mm-hmm. nervous or if their voice is shaky, things like that. And I remember telling Cheryl, like their like their voice sounds purple their voice sounds gray you know whatever mm-hmm. and like not in gray not in a bad way but like that was the that was the tone that i felt matched the sound uh-huh. and in her just being like what are you talking about and i'm like certain voices certain uh tones just generally they like there's a color attributed to it mm-hmm. never i had never heard anybody and like, i know it's a thing but i had never heard anybody explain it the way that you did on the show um and I don't think I have perfect pitch because I can't sing, but I think my ear allows me to maybe hear things a little bit differently uh-huh. than maybe some people. Some people have these abilities. Some people, some people are tone deaf. Some people can hear the rainbow of colors. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like um, it's just abilities that we have. Um, but thinking about like what you were saying about with Westerns, you know, does the music so perfectly fit because it's what we what we were taught on the screen or does it just fit because it was written in a way that conveys I'm air quoting the color of the music right so that it just naturally overlays on it as just another level of the visual like do they just go hand in hand because whoever started that kind of music whoever might be like the progenitor of that just had it innate enough to say this is what this conveys is this sound this imagery conveys this sound um you know almost like a parallel to that color something that's really cool you mentioned david w collins show the soundtrack show the breakdowns that he does i mean it's a very well produced show i wish Mm -hmm. i had the the ability to do like what he does 
But he points out some really cool things over the course of the episodes, like when he talks about the history of soundtrack music and that sort of thing. One of the things he was talking about was, um, oh gosh, was it Psycho? Maybe is that what I'm thinking of? But there's this really long scene where the like the protagonist, this lady, and she was been like embezzling and all, and she's driving for a real long time. And without the music, it is the most boring piece of cinema history. Mm-hmm. But with the music, it's the most anxiety ridden thing you can ever see. And without the music, you don't have that. And so it's like, OK. Here's another really good example. This is so dumb. Somebody made a trailer of the movie Elf, but it was a horror movie. Oh, so yeah. The, <laughs> with Will Ferrell. And basically all they did to really change the feel of it all was change the music underneath of it. Because the music prompts you to have the emotional response that they want you to have. And mm-hmm. in a brilliant way, in a in a very seamless way, John Williams is the master of it. And uh, I don't know, man, to me, and maybe I'm more affected by it because I'm, I'm a musician and have music has been my thing for so long. But I feel like other people, even if they don't have the knowledge that goes along with it, still, still feel the feelings of it. Mm-hmm. Now, along with that, they're talking about like that early experience going to see Star Wars, sitting on the uh, the raised edge of the of mm-hmm. a folding seat, and having been involved with music, being on stage and things like that. Do you like almost look at that first experience as like a concert experience? Oh, because sure. Of, because of the immersion, because mm-hmm. everything is just there. You're in the moment. You're just living it. Yeah, and I and you know honestly, that was really one of my biggest or one of my earliest, I should say, exposures to symphonically driven music. Mm-hmm. You know, my mom didn't listen to a bunch of classical music or anything like that. That's just sort of a thing I developed a love for on my own by liking symphony style music. And so to hear that, yes, that that's a, a, a really good uh, like thing to think about. Yeah, it, it was like a concert. And because, you know, for one, it was you don't you didn't have sound systems at home for your TV the way you did in movie theaters back then, even a crappy movie theater like that. It sounded bigger than life to me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as we're talking about this, something that occurs to me. When my son, for the longest time, I don't notice him doing it quite as much now because his style of play is different. But when he plays with his action figures or whatever toys it is. He it doesn't even realize he's doing it is humming the themes from the movie when he mm-hmm. does it the whole time. Whenever he was, you know, huge into Jurassic Park. And because uh, we watched Jurassic World and he liked it, but then we went back to watch the original Jurassic Park movies and he was enamored with it. And so when he plays those dinosaurs, he's over there <laughs> over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And with the Star Wars toys and all of that stuff, because that music is so incredibly tied to the experience, to the emotion, to the to the visual, <clears throat> to the weight of it. It's just, yeah. It's almost like a, like a self-imposed immersion. I mean, so yeah. I think about the same thing as a kid. You hear Star Wars music when you're playing with your toys. You hear 
Ben Bird's sound effects when you're playing with your toys, mm-hmm. anything like you transformers. Like I'll never, I'll never get the sound from the animated series of what a transforming robot sounds like. You know what I mean? Like they right. just go so hand in hand. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, but along with that and, and thinking about like where you went, like, well, okay, let me ask you this first. How old were you when you first started playing guitar? <sighs> I want to say like 12. Okay. 13, so when there. So the, the OT is done, right? By mm-hmm. that point, it's already, it's behind us. You've already like Star Wars is for nerds. You nerds stop watching Star mm-hmm. Wars. You, I'm, I'm sure you said that at some point. Um, maybe. I don't maybe. know, man. <laughs> but anyway. But, but so I'm just joking, guys. Don't don't write me hate mail for picking on Eric. Um, but do you think getting into the music that you got into, the excitement of heavy rock of metal of mm-hmm. thrashy kind of stuff, whatever. Um, Cause to me, it makes perfect sense. Especially when you think about like, when you think of like, like eighties metal song structure where you have, you know, intro lyric, you know, blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah, blah, guitar solo. And then the outro, whatever the trench run in star Wars is very much the guitar solo of that movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? It reaches that crescendo that, you know, mm-hmm. pulling your string up whee, right at the uh-huh. very end, you know, hitting the whammy bar a little bit, whatever you got to do. And, and then it's the come down afterwards. It's, it's the relief of like, you know, I pulled it off. Right. Everybody is riding that high and then you come out with it. Um, do you think just like something like somewhere innately having had those experiences that that might have driven you to the kind of music that you like and then how you perform? Probably. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it would be hard for me to quantify that, but I would say, you know, definitely so, because like I said, the, I've always tied the sound to the visual more than Mm -hmm. the visual to the sound. Uh, And so uh, I think, yeah, probably because like, this is what this music looks like. Mm -hmm. And I realize that's something that I've said probably a lot of times in the past. And so, yeah, because and you know what fed that completely that's tough to say but yeah i would say it probably did and especially just from like the i don't know the pacing of like story and stuff like that is like you notice that sort of thing really good songs have excellent pacing of the elements mm-hmm. and yeah that's interesting rick i've never thought about <clears throat> it like that yeah that's just how my brain works. The, mm-hmm. the wheels are turning in ways that even I don't anticipate sometimes. So I'm going to ask you a follow-up. Right? And this, this just popped into my head because I don't take notes for shit. We are, we've already discovered, or we've already discussed that. So each of the three movies of the OT, and I'm not trying to be exclusionary to the other two, but since those are uh-huh. our, our formative movies, as we're going to keep it within this framework. So if the trench run is the guitar solo for A New Hope, the I am your father moment is probably the guitar solo for empire mm-hmm. and the uh, Luke Vader fight and the battle of Endor is the guitar solo moment for return of the Jedi. Yeah. If you could pick a tone or a song or like somebody's playing style to match each one of those, because they're very different, you know, empire's crescendo moment is a way different than, than a new hope. You know what I mean? Like if you could pick, a player or a song or a sound to, tr- to attribute with each one of those. What do you think you'd come up with? And you're probably going to say some names that some listeners are going to be like, I have right. never heard Ooh. of Ingve so, Malsteam or something, you know, that's one of the th- things I was thinking about for uh, 
Jedi specifically, specifically is Ingve Malmsteen. Now here, this guy just for those who don't know, he was a like this rip roaring shredder guitar player who came out of nowhere in the early '80s and could play more notes than anybody had ever done before, and all like a very classical sound. Hmm. And that music, like anybody who was into like some of the deeper deep purple stuff, the neoclassical sound that Richie Blackmore really brought to the forefront. Uh, Ingve just took that and then sped it up to his technique was unbelievable. Still very commendable, but, but musical most of the time, but to try to think of it as, uh, something that like the average person would know. When I think of, okay. In empire, the, that entire thing, like leading up to the, I am your father part. It, if you could take that and go straight into the lightsaber duel at the end of return of the Jedi, I would say that the comfortably numb guitar solo, David Gilmore would so perfectly encapsulate that. So the beginning of that song, comfortably numb, there's this really pretty melodic, very slow and it's all like in a major key mm-hmm. uh solo that but then at the end it's this very angry switches to minor and it's just absolute fire like i would pick that for the lightsaber duel and return of the jedi that's what it reminds me of the most because one thing david gilmore never was was sloppy all of his notes were played with intent Mm-hmm. And, um, but even when it felt like he was right on the verge of sort of being out of control, I realize if you're not a guitar player, it's hard to imagine what I'm talking about, but that's very much parallels Luke. Like at the end, whenever he's just wailing on Darth Vader's saber as he's down and ends up cutting his hand off. That is a guitar solo, the outro guitar solo to comfortably not mm-hmm. for sure. But with empire in that sad, sad moment, like this just place of absolute desperation and desolation. Uh, What's a good one. I I think it's a little bit harder to pick because the tone of that moment is it's hyper dramatic. Mm -hmm. It's, it is action heavy. It's almost a chase scene. You know, it's it, you know yeah. slowly moving the way that fight moves, and then the the burst of knowledge and the realization of, oh my God, he's right. You know what I mean? Like how I'm sure there are there are songs that do that that have those kinds of moments. I don't. I can't think of any. That's why I have you on the show to answer these kinds of questions for me because I don't know this stuff. Um, huh. So. And I think tonally, like, is it like, does like a Satriani fit in that mode or does, you know, cause there is something kind of chaotic. Does like a Hendrix fit that mode? Does a Jeff Beck, you know what I mean? Like to try to think about all of these master guitar players and how those scenes are framed. You know I, I mean? think one could make an argument of like, maybe not the solo itself, but the approach and the vibe to it of November rain guns and roses. 
okay. with Slash because it's not this fast tempo thing. That's the thing about that entire section of Empire Strikes Back. It's that plotting nature of it that by the time Luke is hanging on that, whatever that thing is, that weather vane looking deal, uh, bef- after his hands cut off, but before Vader's getting ready to, you know, lay it all out there, boy, do I have a surprise for you kind of thing mm-hmm. before Jerry Springer comes out. <laughs> and, um, or Maury, Jerry was some, that was more of Jerry saying, but, uh, that is like you were, you felt his exhaustion because that's the pace it was moving at when he was, came upstairs and he's, Vader's throwing things at him with the force and he's like pivoting way too late to try to do anything about it. And it's just because he's exhausted and there's like an element of that in like a November rain or from the same album, like a don't cry type of guitar solo that um, it's never fast. It's like every note, means something out in that space and i've never been like uh, a huge slash guy um i mean i think the guy's playing is fantastic and i think like he has composed some of the most memorable solos that people can just hum to you no problem if they've you know familiar with the guns and roses at all so probably i'd say slash man he would over like a um over a groove like that, yeah. I'm I'm glad you brought that up. I think that song, November Raid, fits perfectly because every one of those notes, especially towards the end of the song, he pulls those notes so long, mm-hmm. so intentionally to almost make it sound like, and this is not a George Harrison thing, but it almost sounds like the guitar is wailing, like it's crying mm-hmm. almost. Yeah. Or, or, or it's trying to stifle a cry. Mm-hmm. Um you know, it's like the uh, the overrush of emotions that you're trying to contain, which is exactly where Luke is at the uh, right. father moment where he doesn't know right. until he just bursts out and is like, with his <laughs> mouth moving in unnatural ways. Um, but um, yeah, that's a good one, man. That's a, that's yeah. a good thing. So what about, that's what about a neat the trench question, run, though? What about the trench run, though? The trench run. Uh, um. I would say I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna pop in and just like I get okay. the like the hard chugging almost like heart, you know, that dun, 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 like this uh-huh. is the beginning of the trench run and then just like explosion, not literally, right. but like as the song right. progresses, builds out. I think that huh. Man, that's hard because like there's elements of where Like, I want to say something like Metallica or Megadeth, probably more Megadeth because of the precision involved during like the trench run. But I don't know. Metallica has got a good example of that because they're flying by the seat of their pants. And that is just how Kirk Hammett plays. Mm-hmm. It always feels like he's on the verge of everything falling apart. <laughs> <laughs> I'm one to, you know, I can, I'm not going to make fun of the guy. He's had an amazing career and he's, he is a really, really good player. He's just, he's not the clinical technician style guitar player that like Dave Mustaine would tend to have in Megadeth where, uh, you know, as Kirk, uh, 
has gotten older. I mean, if anybody who's into uh, Metallica and watches like the their behind the scenes videos of the albums getting made and stuff, I mean, a common thread is the producer and Lars laughing at him for not being prepared and you know what I mean? Farting his way through solos until he gets something. Mm-hmm. But well, like you take the guitar solo for one as an example, the song one, and it's just got this furious, like tapping thing at the end that, that would fit in there that because, and I mean, geez, the song one, the, the that entire arc of that tune with the beginning. And then that really fits on top of the first star Wars movie. Yeah. There's something very ominous and tense mm-hmm. about that song, especially as it builds up towards the end in that solo. Um, by the way, that episode that you do with Chris Hall talking about the injustice. Oh, Brothers, uh, yeah. That classic. was a good love man. It, love. Which, I love again, that dude people, so much. People listen, if you want to hear these episodes, you got to go to the bad motivators, Patreon. Cause that's where, yeah. that's where they live right now. Um, Cause you can't put, Shows with music in them just anywhere because of copyright right. stuff, which uh, the motivators know a little bit about that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, um, <laughs> we do. That's why we now, don't have any music in our shows. Now. Nope. You like you you struggle to say band names because they might come after you. Um, so along with that, like just looking at music in and of itself, and like like Isaac, he just recently started playing the piano. He's been taking a couple of lessons, and I come to find out that he's. He's got a gift. Like he knows how he's been latching onto some of these ideas really quickly. Um, He will just fart around on the keyboard that he has in his room. And I hear him playing this song and I'm like, yo, what is that? And he's like, it's from Sonic. It's from Sonic the Hedgehog. And I'm like, but where did you learn that? He's like, no, I heard it. And then I just, I'm like, what? Picked it out. Yeah. He's, he's got, he's got the gift. But then I try to tell him like, don't be a jerk about your gift. Um, You still got to practice. So um, I I look at that. And and again, to put the, the lens of Star Wars on it, and what the force is uh, to try to put it into like a real world application. The force almost seems like a manifestation of your talent. Like a lot mm-hmm. of people who are naturally good at things can't explain where that comes from. You can say like, well, my dad was a guitar player or my dad played football and so I'm good. But there's an origin for that that often can't be explained why people might be naturally athletic or uh-huh. have a, a musicality or, or, you know, artistry just in general. Um, and especially with the way like the higher public is written uh, with like the individual facets of how the force manifests for different characters. Mm-hmm. It's almost like in the real world, our talents are almost the force kind of working its way through people to heighten the gift that they already have. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Um, like you can look at a character like Ray in Star Wars. So people want to say, well, she's Mary Sue. She didn't know how to do blah, blah, blah. blah. Right. She had it in her. She had this already has this innate talent. And for her to get it out, that is the expression of the force saying like, you have this talent. I'm going to help you, but you still need to practice. Which right. She does people. It's in the books and stuff, whatever. I'm not trying to denigrate people in their thoughts because the movies are the movies. Anyway. Um, but to put it in that parallel, like I see almost like, you can play the guitar really well. That's the force working through you. Or you can mm-hmm. say like, that's a gift from that God gave me that I can play the guitar. It's mm-hmm. almost like there's this, not a direct one-to-one, but you know, there's a comparison that can be made um, in that regard. If you want to put one skin over the other. Well, yeah. And the, that's something that is actually been brought up in star Wars. Just an example, whenever, and this has come up with 
say the last five years. I don't even remember how, but it was about midi chlorians. They were com- complaining about midi chlorians and the idea of it being introduced into Star Wars. And the point was made that it's like, okay, some people might have a natural predisposition to something like whether it's to be connected to music or have a lot of physical dexterity or whatever, but training can make the, the pretty good great Mm -hmm. versus the person who has the innate ability and does nothing with it and can't perform as well. And it's that kind of thing that, that, yeah, it's, it's that working through. I used to, okay, <laughs> while we're on this, this subject, I used to play with this violin player and she, <clears throat> uh, that's all she does. She plays violin and pe- she would get so mad when people would tell her she was talented. She's like, because she, in her head, talent means that it just happened right. without any input from her. And she's like, I made a conscious decision when I was six years old that I would live my life differently than everybody else and dedicated my life to becoming good at the violin. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, I can see where you're coming from with that. But to her, it's almost like her connection with the music at that point. That's a very mechanical and jaded way of looking at it mm. to it to an extent. I mean, I have a hard time understanding, like thinking that way. But I mean, because listen, I've I've worked my butt off on guitar. I've practiced a ton of, you know, very methodical, sometimes semi-boring practicing. Mm-hmm. But I can see where where you know, somebody could have a hard time holding one in front of the other. But I do feel like, you know, that's one of the things like in the church world that we talk about is using your, your gifts and talents to serve in the church, right? And so, yeah, that's... And with music, it's a way for me to convey a level of thankfulness or to speak in a way that maybe I can't verbally. I don't know. It's, it's, um, because what I'm doing when I play is I'm putting like my emotional self out there in more of a way than like giving an impassioned speech. For example, I can play my guitar and convey what I mean better in my head. I think that you listen, that makes total sense to me. Um, being from like a family of artists, you know, my dad was a painter, mm-hmm. my brother plays music, you know, it's my son now playing piano, like all of that shit skipped me. So I don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? I, I drop markers and I'm like, well, did the thing. Yeah. Um, and then that's about it. Um, no, no, no. I, I for if people who have listened to the show, you know, I spent a number of years writing and have, I have one short story published and, uh, it's not for everybody. I'll just say that. Uh, it was a very long time ago. And, uh, yeah, I was, you know, as a lot of people do, I like, I wrote poetry for a long time, did spoken word for a number of years. And, uh-huh. uh, those are good times, you know, doing all that kind of stuff. And, you know, the creative juice has never left me. I know, um, words just in general are something that like, I enjoy, like I enjoy reading as much as I enjoyed writing, uh-huh. uh, for that time that I was. And, uh, you know, I, it's still, I, I enjoy reading as much as I do right now and understanding story structure and stuff that we talked about um, earlier. But I think you and I, where we differ artistically is mine. My emotional sense comes out more 
and I'm air quoting literal, not just in uh-huh. words. Right. But yeah, there's, some, there's something more logical about how I think about things emotionally, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense, where somebody like yourself who plays music or maybe works in a visual medium painting or something like that, the logic is almost something that has to be learned because the emotional expression is there first. Does that make sense? I mean, yeah, like, yeah, I know what you're saying. And, and and that's weird because like I'm also in my like analytical end of things. I ha- have a background with electrical engineering and it's all about logic and workflow and all of these things. And uh, but to me, that serves the emotional part as opposed to the other way around that all of that order and whatnot is only there to make the other part easier. You know what I mean? And, and I realize that's weird because I'm, I'm a person who like, I talk about like on the logical end of like your feelings, for example, Mm -hmm. one of the things that, you know, Oh my goodness, my dog up there. One of the things is that you, you can't, how you feel, you can't uh, put that on somebody else. You make me mad. No, I'm mad. You did this. Now I'm mad. You know, those are like, I realize that's splitting hairs, but that's like the whole thing. It's up to you to decide how you react to a certain situation. Well, here's the deal. Your emotions are there for a reason. And it's a logical reason. They're there to protect you. That's mm-hmm. why fear is a is an emotion that because you need to run away from this. That's that's good. Anger, and a lot of people tell you you just don't get angry. Well, that's you that's not realistic. Anger is there to protect you. It's there to help you not be a doormat, right? And I realize that's like a how I got here is kind of weird, but there from a logical standpoint, the the emotion serves that's logical. Your emotions are there to perform a function mm. of logic, right? I don't know. That's that's like a bizarre way of looking at it, but that's like left brain, right brain stuff. That's um, jam transmissions in a nutshell. <laughs> you just, you just, just, that's the tagline for the show now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, all right, we're going to move away from all of all of that for just a second because in your spare time. Is the dog okay? I yeah, it's some, I, somebody's running around up there. It'll be <laughs> it'll be all right. Yeah, you guys you guys can't see what I see, but uh, Eric just pulled a, a Brady Bunch moment and looked up at the top square, so that was, <laughs> uh, that was a little weird. Um, so, but getting away from all of that stuff, you spend some of your free time, which is usually between two thirty and three thirty in the morning on Twitch, um, playing uh, either Red Dead uh, lately or uh, Jedi Survivor, or whatever mm-hmm. whatever games you're you're getting into. Um, which is one of the reasons why um, I'm as tired as I am right now, because I stayed up too late last night watching some of my friends play video games on Twitch because you were on last night. Uh, Cruiser was on last night and mm-hmm. Hawes was on last night. And I was kind of bouncing between the three, um, just kind of checking out what's what. And what Hawes does, I, I listen, Hawes on Twitch is like a variety show. Yeah. When him and Steve and Jeff and all of those guys are mm-hmm. on, it's a good time. When you're on, like, there's a lot of back and forth with whoever's in your chat, and you still uh-huh. want to play the game too. And I know that's something that you struggle with. Um, but let's talk about just video games in general for a second. So, Red Dead, like, that's your jam, that's your thing. Yeah. Like, 
you're, you, you'd hang your hat up on Red Dead, if you will. Um, yes. Some dad humor for us, because that's what we do. Um, but you've mentioned on, on the shows that you do that video gaming is something that you've got, you found yourself getting back into in earnest over the last just few years, maybe four years or so, three, yeah. four years. Um, what do you think it is about the immersion of these stories that keeps you going? Because I know for myself, there's some games that I've tried to play that I've lost interest in and I'm not to take anything away, but like, uh, or from the creators of the games themselves, but you know, I played um, Assassin's Creed mm-hmm. and while the game was fun, um, it just, it lost my interest. And so I never finished it. Uh, it took me a long time to get through horizon zero dawn for a multitude of reasons. But when the story was done, I was like, Oh damn, that was pretty cool. I should have just kept on when I did. But do you think say for red dead specifically, is it the mechanics of the gameplay that gets you coming back to do all the extra stuff? Cause you've done the story already. Uh, or is it something about this character that you play in the game that keeps you coming back? I think what keeps me coming back to Red Dead, so the story part of Red Dead Redemption 2 is a masterpiece. It's very good. Mm-hmm. And everything about it's great. The visuals, the acting, the the character voices, just all of it, spot on. And while playing that, it's like I really fell in love with the environment. Cause like I grew up liking Westerns and stuff like that. So just having the horses and all of those things around, that's really cool. But like just the world that they've built. And so whenever I started playing red dead online, it's got some parts that are story driven, but it's a lot of like task oriented things, which I also like, there's like a, a level of comfortability in that. It's like, you know, like I grew up Catholic as an example, the mass was essentially the same every time, but there's like a, a comfort in that. And it's sort of like that. So this is like, okay, here are a list of tasks I must perform. It's goal oriented, goal driven. But what really kept me going in it was the world that they created mm. because it's, it's just magnificent. And the gameplay itself the mechanics of it really make you feel immersed. It's kind of like with Jedi Survivor. Okay, the world's beautiful, and somehow they've managed to, ta- managed to take what you do with a controller in your hands, tie it to what you see on the screen, and make it so seamless that it's like the closest sensation you can get to actually doing the things on the screen. And that's what keeps, keeps me coming back. I really like story stuff. I tend to not play uh, games that don't have one. And that's no fault against them. Like I would like everybody's into Street Fighter Six right now. Yeah. For the, you know, the online multiplayer. And I would, I'm interested in that, but I'm more interested in doing story driven stuff. You know, yeah, I mean, I that, think, make, that makes sense. Yeah. Because like I think about the games that I've played since I, got back into video gaming, which would be like this game, sleeping dogs. It's sort of like grand theft auto, but you're in Hong Kong and it, but it's a story. There's a whole story behind it. And 
it's really really neat than like jedi jedi fallen order was the first video game i played when i got back into video games and i was like oh dang this is my jam yeah yeah and so uh, they're not the same as they used to be right yeah and so and and that's it i think a big part of it is the world they build you know, it's kind of like the world of Star Wars. One of the things that makes it so awesome is the world that they've built with it. So if there's a game then from, say, like, I don't want to say Gen 1, but like way, way early, because I remember like we had an Intellivision growing up. Like, oh, nice. We had some of the other stuff. So like, that's showing my age a little bit. Um, but, you know, they did the, like on SNL when Pedro Pascal was on, they did the... Um, well, was it Mario Kart as like a Last of Us uh-huh. kind of thing? Can you see another game like way? And I'm not talking like Nintendo. Let's go pre-Nintendo. Mm-hmm. A game that could be like adapted into a new modern style with elite storytelling. Because if I had to pick one, and if I can throw a story back on it, just to give you an example. Dig Dug would be the one where the main character is like there's a part of his life that he's just searching for and he can never find. And that's why he's digging. You know what I mean? Put that on the story. He lost somebody that he, he can't, you know, he can't find. Um, And uh, I think I joked one time and I made a meme and and I called it dig dug redemption and threw it on a bad motivators thing. So that might be the story. uh, Dig dug redemption. That's awesome. Uh, Dang. Man, I can't compete with that. <laughs> uh, but it's like, so my very first gaming system, well, we had the like the original Pong, mm-hmm. the console Pong that you could get for your TV. And uh, then we had the Atari, uh, uh, what was it? The, the 2600 maybe. Or the VHS, whichever one was first. Mm-hmm. But, um, or VCS was what it was called, I think. But anyhow, they were the same thing. And so all of those games, like there's, I was always interested in Pitfall, but because I wasn't sure what the motivation was besides you just start and you run in a direction. Yeah. That game never really had an end that I'm aware of. Yeah. No. And I always wondered, maybe I'm playing it wrong because it, it was timed. It was 20 minutes. It was the timer length and you just went until you couldn't. And there were like shortcuts you could take. Mm-hmm. You know, something that's wild is most time in video games, you always think of it as, as a side scroller and you are on the left and you're going to the right. When I was a kid, I never played Pitfall that way. I always ran to the left. I always did. And so like that's... when you came up to the pools of alligators, all their mouths were opening away from me, not toward me. Yeah. That says a lot about you, Eric. Yeah. Well, it's you're weird just... because it never occurred to me to go the other way. But I mean, something like that. I mean, because what drove that guy to do that? I mean, you know, maybe, I don't know. Maybe he was. I can't even think of what I would do with it. I mean, come, come up with come up with a story for Burger Time. Oh, my gosh. Burger you know, Time. Some what down a on wacky your, game. I know. Some down on your luck. Yeah. Diner owner, you know, that's his means for. I don't know. You could throw a yeah. story on it. But I mean, you could do it. I just, I had to think about some of those games that weren't entirely story driven, that it uh-huh. was just, you were playing the mechanic to reach a goal right. and they were fun because that's what you could do on your TV at home. But mm-hmm. to try to attribute like a more modern 
kind of story. And then, and then to make a show out of it, to make a Dig Dug Redemption TV show on HBO, I'd be all for it, man. <laughs> That'd be cool to see. So I went through a phase whenever I was younger where I was playing a lot of the, um, what would you call them? Like, like a text adventure, basically. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Scott Adams, <clears throat> not the same, not the Dilbert nope. Scott Adams, not that Scott dude. Adams had all of these titles. And I, because we had a TI 99 4A that we got secondhand from some, somebody after they were tired of it. So it was already old news, but you know, they're, it's all just words you read on the screen and then you type a command to do another, another thing. Go North, go North go north but they will you soon realize that it's actually only reading the first three letters of any word you put in there so you learn to speak in this language that you can just go real fast through but uh, those were really neat because at the time i did i liked the story and because of that it was completely up to you to fill in the visual in your head yeah that's like uh, it was done it's like a choose your own adventure book uh, kind, kind of mechanic yeah um well, hell, man. I mean, we we got into the weeds with a lot of this stuff. Um, and I guess to kind of wrap things up, we should talk about some stuff that happened in Star Wars recently as we're an hour and a half into this thing. Let's talk about <laughs> some news, Eric. Even yes, though, so we let's talk do about that. Um, so real quick, uh, this week we had um, <laughs> we found out the, the release date for Ahsoka, um, August 23rd, which mm-hmm. is uh, not all that far away when we think about it. What's your hype level for the show? Pretty high. I'd yeah. put it around a nine uh, because I've always, ever since I really decided to get like into Clone Wars before I always sort of dismissed it. It just wasn't my bag. Um, but like, I really found an appreciation for it. I love the character of Ahsoka. I think she's tremendous. She's one of my favorites in all of star Wars. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm really excited for this. Yeah, this this is a good looking show um, from the stuff that we've seen so far. And I remember uh, the releases of the trailers during Celebration and, uh, you know, not being there. You know, I remember like I would see them on Reddit or something and just download the video. I still got them on my phone. Um, you want to see the extended clips, guys. I, you know, I have them and they're out there if you ever want to see them. They're not hard to find. Um, but yeah, to see the growth of this character from the movie, you know, on Christophsis to this mm-hmm. and like, cause I mean, you think about it. I remember not being totally online when clone Wars started, like being aware of stuff. And when the prequels were coming out, like I was more, you know, checking out, it wasn't like King Tom with binders full of right printouts, yeah. but I mean, I remember being around and checking some of that stuff out on the forums, but, um, I wasn't totally aware of the backlash of the stuff that people felt about Ahsoka um, early on. Like I liked her. I was just like, cool, new star Wars character. What's not to like about yeah. that. Um, and I guess I can kind of understand, like it almost seems now in retrospect that some of the writing for Ahsoka was purposely like borderline annoying because she's this headstrong little girl, you know, or teenage girl, um, who is thrust into a war at 13 or however old she is. Right. Um, so, you know, it, it, it makes sense in retrospect, but I can see at the time how that bristled against some people, but to see where she is now as a character, not, you know, her representation on screen, uh, you know, it's Rosario Dawson or whatever, but just to see the growth of the story and where she's come and to see her 
at what is potentially like the latest point in her life. You know, the oldest version of her. Um, even though I'm, I'm speculating that there's just, there's going to be a handful of flashbacks in this show. There's just some things that we've seen that I can't see uh, take place after or the original trilogy era or the man or in the Mando area era. Um, but I'm also like, we talked about, about not being totally immersed with like kind of new stuff as these releases have come out. Like I find my excitement tempering, like not, not that I'm not excited, uh-huh. but I don't let the news cycle drive my excitement of like, you know, this gotcha. week we also had, we had the big empire spread that came out. I haven't read it. Saw the pictures, kind of don't care. Um, it's a thing that's coming and that's almost enough excitement for me. Like I don't need to see every commercial or read every little thing or see them standing in the volume or green screens and kind of stuff like that's all good and well, but I don't need that to get my hype level up for the story because that's yeah. the technical movie making side of it. You know, I do like seeing the pictures and the visuals, but like with the articles and I, I think I even said something along the lines of this on the Sith list. It's like, okay, they asked Dave Filoni about his movie and he said this basically the same thing he says every time. There you go. And it was not, he said nothing. Yeah. So, and that's kind of what that represents to me. It's like, okay, whatevs. I'm just, I'm more interested in looking at it and experiencing it and how I'm going to feel about it than any of that sort of thing. Uh, Like I said before, it'd be great to just, not be aware of any of this and suddenly boom, there's an Ahsoka show here. Watch this. We got it done. Yeah. I'm, I'm waiting for the day when there's like a surprise star Wars drop. Mm-hmm. Like, I just feel like at some point somewhere down the road, there's going to be, Hey, we made this movie in secret and didn't tell you, or we, this, we have this, you know, hour long special that we didn't tell anybody about. And it's, it comes out tomorrow, you know, kind of thing, you know, I, and that's kind of what Amazon does with their original stuff it's like you know they're working on something but then you know it's coming out hey guys on tuesday get ready there wasn't this huge cycle of it the way that it is for this you're right a a surprise drop would be amazing i mean taylor swift everybody knows i love taylor swift (laughs) she dropped two albums during covid out of nowhere and then a third one towards the end it's like you know, that's true. Tremendous. And they were all fantastic. To me, that almost drives excitement more because you don't have the months of speculative conversations mm-hmm. or like I said, the, the punditry that can kind of sully the, there's, there's so much now in the lead up to any one thing that you already have like a perception of what to expect because like right now, let's just say with the Flash. I mean, they've, there's there have been these advanced screenings now for the last it seems three weeks, and there's a lot of people hyping it up that have seen it. You know, there's reviews that are out, things like that. So it, it's hard to get away from. I need to go into this movie clean without anybody else's takes on it, and it's also for me. It just is just kind of like a facet of my own personality. The more I hear about the thing, the less I'm going to be interested in it. You know what I mean? Like, gr- great, you've seen it. I know you liked it. Uh-huh. I heard you the first time. You know what I mean? Like, I don't care anymore. Thanks for letting me know your opinion. I value that for you. But let me go into it with, you know, whatever. And I'm, that's not for the flash. I just mean, like, generally speaking. Right. Um, like, 
it's one thing like with um, Across the Spider-Verse that came out last week. That movie rules. It's great. Um, I said one thing about it online and then I let it go. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Like I don't need to hammer the point home because I don't. I just don't feel like there's... We talk about it a lot at home. The movie stuck with us and we'll probably go see it again, which is something that we don't normally do. Um, but, you know, it's... I. I to me, there was a ton of lead up for Across the Spider-Verse, but the directors of the movie said, hey, guys, we're going to be releasing these clips almost every day. Uh, if you don't want to know anything, don't watch them. Uh-huh. Like, they came straight out and said, there's a lot of people who don't know anything about this universe or the story. These clips are for them. Um, but if you already know and if you're already sold on it, we don't need you to watch it. These are, these are not for you. Like They came very flat out. And I'm like, that's cool give me that approach a little bit more. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it, yeah. the excitement level is going to be there. And like, if they did say, here's this, uh, this brand new special, that's the epilogue to the Mandoverse, And it comes out on Wednesday. That to me almost seems more exciting is like, Oh my God, we only have four days to get mentally prepared for what this thing might be. And you can just jump into it. Piece, you know, it's like, they just opened the pool over here. I'm sure that's water cold. That water's cold. I'm going to jump in because I'm excited <laughs> to jump in the pool. You know what I mean? It's been there for a little while. It was empty all, all winter. Now it's good to go. And I'm going to go jump in. You know I wonder I mean? if that's what Amanda keeps texting me about. So, are you guys still <laughs> going? Yeah, hold on. Yeah. I wonder if the kids are like, maybe that's what I heard the running around. Let's go to the pool. Because we've got yeah, a pool like right up at the front of our neighborhood. It's the best. That's how it is here. We haven't had the chance yeah. to get in, but like, I don't need anybody to... I don't need to see posters of the pool for me to get excited about the pool. Right. You know, it, it's a thing and I know it's there. Well, listen, since I know you guys got stuff to do and, and we've got a little behind the scenes, Eric and I have been talking about trying to do this show for a few weeks and we just couldn't get the time together. I'm glad we got to do it today. Um, yeah, man. We talked about a lot of stuff. And again, I, I say this a lot on this show. One of my favorite things about fandoms and specifically about Star Wars fandom is the perspectives that people have and how it shapes their experience coming in and, and, and going in and coming out of these, these stories and these movies and stuff like that. So thank you so much for taking the time to, uh, to come and talk about some of this nerdy stuff with me. I really, really appreciate it. Man, I had a blast, man. Thanks for bringing me on, Rick. You're a really good dude. I'm glad you're my friend. Thanks, man. Likewise, you know, from, from a chance, real quick hug at Celebration Chicago 2019. Okay. Here we are. We talk on the phone from time to time and, and I'm, I'm going to put this out publicly Guys, there have been a few times where I've had some things that I was wrestling with and I've called Eric or I've texted Eric and we've talked it out and you've been an immense help to kind of help me make sense of some of the scrambles that I've gone through. Excuse me. I just hit the mic, you know, for myself. So, um, good, good people do things like that. And you're, you're 100% one of those people, man. So I appreciate you. I just want to let you know. uh, You are too, my dude. So thank you. Um, so that's going to wrap it up for episode 139 of Jam Transmissions, but I got a couple announcements to uh, to get through real quick at the end. I meant to do this at the beginning, but we just jumped in. So if you're here at the end, guys, don't leave yet, because I want to let you know about some couple couple things that happened with the show in the weeks that we were out. So first and foremost, we got a website. There is a website for Jam Transmissions where you can go and find links to all of the places that you can listen to the show. Um, they're all there. There's a little thing for emails and voicemails you can send in directly. Um, and I have to extend the the biggest amount of gratitude to Sean Hoffman, who we tease because we love him. Um, he put this whole thing together 
on me just saying, hey, can you help me out? And he said, sure. And by him helping me, he just did it, um, which is wonderful. Sean, I love you. You're one of the best people, uh, not just in this fandom, but just in the world. Everybody needs a friend like Sean Hoffman. Um, he did all the legwork for this thing, and he, we got it up in about a week. And uh, I'm, I'm really grateful for all of that. But all, there's a place to drop reviews and do all of that fun stuff. Um, and uh, there's links to... Uh, lots of other friends podcasts that you can go to bad motivators uh, is one of them. And uh, so is the Sith list. And uh, you guys are all part of my, uh, my extended star Wars family. And I love all of you for that. So one of the other things that is on this website is a link to the jam transmissions, brand new T public storefront. And I've already had a couple of designs on there. I got one and I'm wearing the shirt right now. People, you guys can't see this. Eric can't see it because it's behind the microphone. But I put up a shirt a few weeks ago as a test just to see if I could do it and get the design out. And I'm wearing it right now. Eric, you can see that. right? Nice. It's so good. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, It's the the three Enzellans from Mando. I might have uh, borrowed the image from something official. So here's what happened with this thing real quick. So I ordered a shirt and a hoodie. Right. And now these prints are slightly defective. The one that Mm -hmm. I'm wearing, it's not a rectangle. It's more of a trapezoid. The bottom is a little bit wider than the top. Okay. I ordered a hoodie and the image is kind of blurry. So uh-huh. I sent them an email and I said, Hey, is there anything we can do about this? Cause these are awesome. And the guy who created them is a really a handsome man. And that's being me. And they said, uh, let's see, we'll see what we can do. They sent me an email back and they said, unfortunately we cannot, the third party creator cannot do anything with these images. And then I got an email afterward and said, that the image got pulled down because there's nothing they can do about it. So in the course of about two weeks, I got my first image up and taken down. And boy, do I feel like a creator now. Yes, um, you've made it. You've hit the I've big made it time. Big time, big time. Yeah. So as of right now, there are two other brand new designs on there. One of them is called Thrawn's Grasp. The other one is called Ahsoka's Lament. And if you guys want to get hyped for the upcoming Ahsoka series. Grab these shirts. They are front and back designed, uh, which makes them slightly more expensive than a regular t-shirt. But I think they're really cool. Um, and longtime listeners of the show might recognize the show, the uh, the image from one because it was show art for an episode that we did a very long time ago. Um, I think when we talked about one of the Thrawn books. So you can check those out. There are some other designs on the way. Um, as we've been recording a little bit inside baseball, again, Sean Hoffman has been texting me some of the designs that he's helped me. Uh, <laughs> so I get notifications on my computer screen when I get a text on my phone. So I've been able to see the images and, uh, I am very stoked again, guys, I didn't ask Sean for his help. He's just doing these things out of the kindness of his heart because that's the kind of person that he is. So all the links are going to be in the show notes. Uh, actually, the only link that's going to be in the show notes is the website because that's where everything is for you. No more of paragraphs of things. It's all just going to say jamtransmissions.com, and that's where you can go to find all of these things. Um, while you are there, guys, and this is a very long wrap-up for the show, um, please remember to rate and review the show if you're listening on Apple. Uh, throw me a million stars. And if you're on Spotify, throw me about a dozen or so. I won't accept anything less than that. Uh, And if you want to do a worded review for Apple, I would really, really appreciate it um, as we're trying to grow the show. Um, Lastly, I do want to extend uh, a thank you to everybody who's been listening. The last couple episodes that I've put out, I haven't done a lot of push for online and uh, the numbers have been decent um, for a show that's just me. And I really appreciate everybody who is listening wherever you do listen. Um, Tell your friends, 
uh, share them online as the episodes come out. I'm sure lots of people are going to be sharing this one because this was a banger. This was a headbanger of an episode, if you will. <laughs> um, Eric, once again, thank you so much uh, for coming on. And um, if anybody wants to know what's going on with you, um, where can they reach you? The easiest way is just follow me on Twitter at Eric Strahlers. I pretty much push everything through that funnel. There you have it. Don't bother looking up anything else like uh, bad underscore motivators yeah. or, uh, or or any of the other things. But guys, yeah. I will urge you, if you have the time and a couple of bucks, uh, throw it to their Patreon because the stuff that they do, uh, him and Cruiser, uh, is some of the best stuff with um, Cruiser's friend uh, Rashad and uh, King Tom. Those are <laughs> good people. Talk about <laughs> comics, talk about movies, TV shows, and, and lots of other things that are not uh, necessarily just Star Wars. And I will say... Uh, that's metal is one of my favorite shows that I listen to because I have a different appreciation for music than just listening to it. Um, and I like the way you talk about music. So this has been, uh, something, um, that I've been wanting to do for a long time. Let's talk a little bit about music and Star Wars with you. And maybe in the future we can do this, uh, again. And, yeah, um, man. so I'm going to let you go back to your family. I'm sure the reprieve was, uh, was good for you, but, um, Go enjoy your summer, Eric. And uh, for everybody listening, thank you once again for listening to episode 139. Um, And I'm just going to say, may the force be with you.